You don't fight a guy at three in the morning in Chicago around Thanksgiving who's now wearing a shirt. Uphill battle! <laughs> Uphill battle, he clearly doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Just pump the brakes, leave him alone. Give him whatever the fuck he wants. It's 20 below, he's got his fucking man tips flopping around, just let him be. Welcome aboard the Blackout Diaries. Come on in, grab a drink of the Blackout Diaries. Welcome aboard the Blackout Diaries. Come on in, grab a drink of the Blackout Diaries. Welcome to the Blackout Diaries, a show where stand-up comics plus everyday people tell true drinking stories. I'm your host, Sean Bear Flannery. And I am CJ Sullivan. Each week here on the Blackout Diaries, we have a different theme when it comes to the debauchery of stories, and this week it is late-night diners. Oh, one of my favorite themes, one of my favorite things. Yes. Uh, we have one of my favorite guests who's going to tell a great story from the diner, Mick Betancourt, who you just heard some of. Mm -hmm. uh, Chicago legend. Um, tells a hilarious Diner story, and it's kind of an inseparable part of drinking in a major city. Absolutely, is diners. Yeah. I mean, that's the real advantage of drinking in a big city versus a small city. We have diners, whereas the suburbanites have to deal with, you know, chain right? And, and and Waffle Houses are legendary in the South and things like that. Yes. And Denny's, but it's just not. I mean, yes, that's theirs, whatever. But it's up north. It's just different. You get like a personalized diner, mm -hmm. whatever family. And you get old, um, like like just. Like, they've been doing that shift for 20 years. Yes. Staff, you know, they've seen everything. They're not phased by anything. <laughs> everything seems like it's behind a case, too. Like, when they have, like, cake behind a, gla a spinning glass case, you know, that's, like, sniffing around, like, while you're also selling a patty mount. Food like, menagerie. Going? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you're at a museum. Right. This dessert is sourced out of Brazil originally. <laughs> and so you always get crazy um, – Obviously, you got crazy people that you don't know if they are alive, if they've been there, how long they've been there, if they've alive, if they've never left, or you know what I mean. Like you're saying, you have to be crazy to work that shift and, right. and deal with drunks, and it, it, that's a universality throughout the country. You know, actually, this just happened to me uh, pretty recently. I was in Indiana, mm -hmm. and uh, it's actually a work event, and we're drinking, and we need to get dinner. Uh, everyone's like getting really sloppy, and they're like, "We got to go eat something." And yeah. we go to this diner that also has a bar in the back. Uh, it's called Monroe's in Hudson Lake, Indiana. Okay. And like we, ha we have a big group because it's his work event. So it's like uh, it's like 15 people. And this dude comes up to me. He's like, whoa, 15. Okay. Yeah, you know, no problem. We can do that. We can do that. You know, and it, it, it's like uh, kitchen style. You got about a half hour before the kitchen yeah. closes. You know, yeah. uh, and he, he puts us back in like this like private event area. <laughs> and we're like, okay. And he uh. gives us these menus. And you know how I am, when, especially if I'm drunk. Like, I'm, like I see frog legs. I'm like, frog legs? I, I order frog legs for everybody. Right. So I order, like, 200 frog legs yeah. opening volley, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> 200 frog legs opening volley, and everyone will be having it. You just, you, <laughs> it's, not, it's not just what appeals to you when you're drunk. It's what, it's what you think would appeal to everyone else. You make yes. orders for people, and like, demand, there's no time for decisions. You're having this. We're going to have this. Yeah. Bring this. And Sorry. frog eggs, it, it doesn't make sense less than a hundred. You know, yeah. like I have to order it. You know, for this big of a group. You know, it's a good point. Yeah, you don't want to see you don't want to see eight frog legs come out. <laughs> so, you know, we're waiting, and um, it, you know, it's been a while. 
Uh, and I'm like, you know, I think frog legs are just deep fried. You'd, you know, I wouldn't expect them. And some of us have beers, but they just went right. up to the bar to get them, and some of us don't. So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go uh, check on our frog legs. And, Excuse me, Garcon. What's the deal with our frog legs here? I mean, I'm not an expert, but it's been a should be a quick hop for these 200 legs. I go up to the bar and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll have uh, like an anti-hero beer." And uh, you have any uh, idea where what's going on with our frog legs? She goes, "What? <laughs> we ordered 200 frog legs." She's like, "You ordered what?" She goes, "Who did you order 200 frog legs from?" <laughs> She goes, we've never had right. frog legs. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, that guy over there, and he's sitting at the end of the bar just drinking right. a beer. Uh-huh. She goes, God damn it. She's like, go back in there. Let me get the manager, right. you know. And uh, I'm like, all right, I don't know what's going on. You know, but the, the dude's just having, our waiter's having a good time at the end of the bar. And the manager sure. then comes up, and uh, she's like, listen, I am so sorry. I'm like, uh, uh, we gave Dale a night off. And we should not have done that. Uh, <laughs> so he came in on his night off, got drunk, and just decided to start serving us. Never turned the order in. We don't. She doesn't know what menus he gave us. That's like amazing. like what restaurant they're from. He just you read frog in, legs. He didn't like this. Write. He didn't write this in like as his own special. It was or on the menu. Yeah. So okay. I did not invent that. It was on the menu. It, like she doesn't know. She thinks it was from some sort of special event. She's not sure. And right. she just goes, "This is our fault." I should have never given him a night off. He can't handle it. You know, uh, I apologize. I can't get you frog legs. But right. I can get you some mozzarella sticks. Actually, I just want to, to be honest with you, I just want to hang out with Dale. To be I, don't want, I, don't, I don't need a frog legs or mozzarella sticks, but get Dale over here. But they're all crazy. All these people that work these things are That's crazy. That's incredible. Was he in uniform, Dale? Or any kind of um, well, I, it wasn't really the kind of place that had uniforms. Right, right. We, you know what's funny is we went back there the next day. I'm like, you know, they're like, where do you guys want to eat? I'm like, well, I'm sure as hell want to go back to Monroe's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See if they got frog legs back on the menu. You know? Yeah, and it we is go back and d- right. good. Dale has since been fired. <laughs> ah, that's a shame. That's sad to hear. I would, I would, uh, apparently, I would. he wouldn't leave. They're like, it's your night off. You're technically yeah. an employee, and right. you're embarrassing yourself. And he's like, you know, well. You know, and so they had to fire him the previous evening. Uh, nothing to do with us. We had no complaints. No, it sounds dangerous to actually to fire him. So it sounds like he needs like, to be weaned off, like like you know, like uh, yeah. like Brooks We're and schedule sh- a little less. Yeah, like somebody who's semi-retired. You know, yeah. like the way they do it. Yeah, you can't just toss like somebody outside. Like, like that guy from Shawshank, yeah. Brooks. When he goes out to the, you know, he can't he can't he handle another function out there. Right? Yeah, exactly. He needs he's needed he needs his regiment of Monroe. <laughs> yeah, those people are absolutely uh, crazy. I was I like telling that story when I was in. Uh, Wisconsin, I think it's in Appleton. Um, it's not a diner, but it's this pizza hut that's open during the lunch. Re- restaurant pizza, which you don't see too often anymore in this country. There's no, only like sit-down pizza. Yeah, dine-in yeah. restaurant. So the extra- we don't believe in we 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 think uh, we think delivery's a fad. <laughs> right, come on in and enjoy it for crying out loud. Yeah. Sit down with a pan and burn your hand on these <laughs> on these fucking pans. But they have Pizza's a sign not about out- convenience. Yeah, but they have a sign yeah, outside ahead. that I, we I, we always love. It says like lunch buffet. All you can eat lunch pizza buffet. It's like ten dollars from noon to four every day, and then right underneath it, uh, also 
always hiring for wait staff. <laughs> people, yeah, because people are quitting every day because of this buffet you see right above us. It was like kids eat free. Like everything about it was just like, yeah. oh, that's it's like going to be kids. It's going to be kids, drunks, and senior citizens. Right. I mean, that's the thing that that's the crowd at a diner too. They're the only exactly. people that want that kind of food at that price. Right. And it is. It's cheap. It's cheap price, and they want and they want full service for it. You know, that's what. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when I'm drunk and I go to a diner, that's the the whole experience. Like, mm-hmm. I need you to bring it to me. I need you to cook it. Right. And you so, know, if I try to cook this in my apartment, I will burn it down right now. I am loaded. Yes, and that's and that's a perfect segue into our guest, Mick Betancourt, whose story about going to the diner and demanding the service you'll hear you'll hear him does as as all drunks do when they do it like they're being served like a drunk king. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he's a visiting dignitary. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we do. We get crazy breakfasts, you know, at yeah. 3 a.m. and all these things that come, that come with all kinds of sides. And uh, anyway, this guy's an absolute Chicago legend. We love him. Uh, an amazing storyteller. He's got a, these are. This is just one of the hundreds of incredible stories that he has. A uh, man that's basically uh, he's he's a walking living podcast. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, I mean, everything he says is hilarious, right. and he has so many stories. He's definitely built for the show. So, without further ado. <laughs> Let's get back to a story with a night that got away from Mick Betancourt. What's up, Lincoln Lodge? First off, I just want to say how insanely grateful, and I'm not being full of shit, to be a part of tonight. And I don't know how many of you are loyalists to this room but it is an absolutely magical place that has given many comics, myself included, a a safe, vibrant place to grow as a comic and a performer. So thank you for all your support and thank you, Mark and Sean, for having me as a part of the show. Yes. And now let's talk about cocaine. First off, if you're under 25, quit fucking taking pictures. Like, who shows pictures of the crime? Like, this is us breaking into the bank. (laughs) You don't do that. You don't take pictures of the crime. There will be no fucking pictures. It will just be fatty telling the truth. So I'm getting shit-faced right down the street at the Golden Nugget, right? Just fucking shitty balls deep into a 20-hour run. Ooh, horrible. And if you've ever been there, you walk in, there's a little glass lobby. You know, you tap, you get the snow off your shoes, walk in, right? Counter, table's over here, table's over there, right? So it's about three in the morning. So you know what that means? Fucking Belgian waffle time. So I'm sitting there just like a crackhead. The waitress is like, just making a tower of whipped cream. And I got like a junkie lean, even though there's no heroin, but just my body's like fucking, but I see the whipped cream and I'm just like, hit it again. Hit it again. I hit it triple before she's like, I have to see other customers. I have other customers. I have to go. Bring back bacon. Bring back bacon. This many. This many. And then I hear a ruckus across the other side of the restaurant. Now my booth is butting right up against the lobby. And I look through and I see 
this guy yelling at a guy outside, and he's eating with his girl, and, and they yell, fuck you, no, fuck you, fuck you, and the guy outside, no shirt's like, fuck you, and he's like, bring it outside, so he's like, oh, fuck, fuck you, and he gets up, and I walk him, he's walking, he's, and he comes in to the little lobby, and the guy would no, you don't fight a guy at three in the morning in Chicago around Thanksgiving who's now wearing a shirt, uphill battle, uphill battle, he clearly doesn't give a fuck. Just pump the brakes, leave him alone. Give him whatever the fuck he wants. It's 20 below, he's got his fucking man tips flopping around, just let him be. So they come in the little lobby and I'm just watching it and he's like, fuck you, Tiny. The guy with no shirt, fuck you, Tiny. And we all knew he was small, we could see it, so we just pointed out what we were all seeing. <laughs> he's small and he called him Tiny. <laughs> I'm just watching. So you know what Tiny said? I'm Tiny, fuck the... And he just pulls out a pistole. Just a gun and puts it right to the guy's head. And I'm like, I felt like that scrawny guy in like a Western when the tumbleweed's coming down the street. There's gonna be a shoot out! <laughs> so I just duck under the table right as the plate hits my table. So I'm under the table and I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> fuck it. Bacon's gonna come under the table. <laughs> and I just start gnawing on the bacon while the fight may or may not end in murder. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's too much to request whipped cream down here. <laughs> Clearly I'd be crossing a line. A lot of thoughts are going through my head until I hear Fatty McNaked tits yell, pull the trigger, shorty! <laughs> And then I hear, I knew you couldn't fucking do it, asshole. And then I hear the bell ring as he leaves. And I go, holy shit. That just happened. Had some more whipped cream over here. Wait a second, I watch the guy walk, sit back down, peel off a couple bills, gets up with his girl and leaves. My goodness gracious. What an ending to a delicious whiskey cocaine filled night. <laughs> And I sit there in a daze, playing it over and over again, wondering where, the, and then all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, a large man with a sexy body style, much like this one, <laughs> walks in with an overcoat and a mustache that would make Mike Ditka weep in a bathtub. <laughs> like, I'm nothing! 85 was shit! Look at that! That's how amazing this shit was. He walks in and I see that it is a Chicago detective responding 20 minutes after the call. And he walks in, takes one look around and goes, hey, did somebody pull out a, whoa, is that fucking cherry pie? Posts up counterside and now shit just got taken to the next level. They say when the student is ready, the master will appear. <laughs> so I went up to him and I sat down next to him and I said, Master, I thought I was fat and fucking lazy. <laughs> but what I just saw can only be quantified as magnificent. How do you get to a point in your life where someone calls 911 and your immediate reaction is to hold off for almost a half an hour, 
go into a place where someone may or may not be armed only to realize, yes, there is cherry pie, <laughs> and you must have some immediately. <laughs> and he turned to me and he said, kid, the trick is you just gotta stop giving a fuck, huh? <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's it for me, everybody. From, from the last Lincoln Lodge show. That was just amazing. And we got Mick Betancourt. We tracked Mick Betancourt down. Whereabouts unknown, but he's, he plugged in, <laughs> dropped in, and we got him. Mick, thank you for joining us. I'm going to fucking CC my wife on this legend. Someone has to fucking tell her. Legend! <laughs> Mick, this is... Uh, this, this, yeah, that is not an exaggeration. So I debuted the Blackout Diaries, and I, and I think when you did this first appearance, we hadn't met uh, before no. you did the set that uh, our audience just heard, but uh, I debuted the show. I think the sh the show is now eleven years old. I think when I uh, when you had done the show, it was about three years old. And every day when I would I would set up the stage with Mark Geary, we had to build our own stage, and he would just tell me, "Have you reached out to Mick Betancourt yet? <laughs> he is the perfect yeah, yeah, yeah. comic for this yeah, show." It's true. I mean, it really is. So you were already a legend before you even took the stage <laughs> at the Blackout Diaries. <laughs> Well, I'm so I'm really great. It's um, really awesome to be here and connect with you guys. And I'm a I'm a huge fan of both of you individually, but I am a huge fan of of how you two operate as friends. Uh, and and I'll tell a story about that at the end of watching you two and and uh, at the last night at the Lincoln Lodge it was so fucking great. All all that community <laughs> coming together. And CJ, you were sitting there and you were everyone was trying to figure out their set to honor this moment. And I don't know who it was, but they kept interrupting you. And you go, you know what? You get the fuck out of here. <laughs> just, just kicked him out of the fucking booth. And Sean was so used to it. He didn't even fucking look up from his notebook. And he basically was like, all right, what about this bit to close? It was fucking seamless. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because you and I performed as a duo yeah, yeah, uh, as, a duo the, as the final act. Sure. So we were probably going over what we're going to say. <laughs> you just Literally, someone goes to CJ like, shut up. And you're like, get the fuck out of here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the charm and the chemistry people tune in for by the hundreds here. And it uh, <laughs> loves to bring it on back. Welcome back uh, to being uh, Irish. Yeah, you know, right. And I love how you start off like that. You always start off with the complimentary, bring that nice recovery energy going on before you just lay down the hammer. Like, oh, I'm such an honor to be here and my gratefulness and all my blessings. Anyway, let me talk about when you were a piece of shit. No, no. No, no, it was an elegance. I know. It was an elegance. I know. It was beautiful. <laughs> There's a way to operate because we're going to talk about Chicago today. There was an honest, like, if I came up to the booth and you looked up to me and said, get the fuck out of here, we're doing something. Like, all right, I'll see you in 10. Like, there's no, right. you don't take it personally, you know, and it's not going to hurt my feelings. I'm like, oh, he's in it. Something's going on. Like, there's no reading of the tea leaves, yeah. you know, like. Yeah, that was being polite. Rude yeah. to be faking a conversation exactly. going on and wasting everyone's time. <laughs> this is, uh, CJ, a real, a real, uh, real quick uh text exchange I had with Mick one time that was very Chicago and I was thinking of yeah. this the other day Mick uh, a few years ago uh, Mick was you know you're from this area you're from the Chicagoland area originally and you were thinking about moving back to like the Oak Park 
Berwyn area. And I think you had talked to some uh, maybe friends that lived in the area and they had said, oh, it's really violent now. And he sent me this text. He's like, is this true? Is it like crime ridden? I go, it's just carjackings. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> he loved how Chicago that response. Like, I don't know what kind of worry words yeah. you're talking about, but, you know, you're going to lose your catalytic converter once every five years and maybe they're going to take a car but you're going to be fine <laughs> with the guy you're talking about that we have a friend rob who's done the blackout diaries before he and i are drinking by northern wells we come out of uh, the last act which might have been the last it was last act or corcoran's because it had gone through a couple iterations <clears throat> we got into a scrap with some guys and i just hear oh and i go fuck what's going on and he goes i think i got stabbed but so last act had just closed, but Old Town was open till four. We both knew this. And so there was a moment where we connected and we're like, how are, are I mean, Old Town's open till four. And he's like, ah, fuck it, we'll go. <laughs> so he, yeah. he had been stabbed with a, like not a, a cut, full stab. I think he told that story. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm the thing, yeah. I just moved on. This guy, so who you're talking about, I unfortunately was out of town the weekend. Uh, Mick sends me another text. He's like, you got to get this guy on the show. Just trust me. Right. You know, uh, and th- what I love about the Blackout Diaries, is not a comic, is not a comic, never been on stage before. Uh, I think he worked at O'Hare or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just text like my co-producers. I'm like, this dude, yeah, he's a friend of a friend. Uh, everyone tells me he's going to be great. And they said, I get all these like, not worried texts, but like, they're like, uh, by the way, I uh, could have used a, a heads up. This is the largest human being any of us have ever seen. <laughs> He's the scariest looking man. Apparently he was super nice. Uh, oh, like, nice guy. Everyone loved him, did great on the show, but I guess he's like an intimidating presence. Oh. So him coming into Old Town bleeding must have been a sight to see. The two of you together, you must have been a hell of a team when you walked into bars. Well, he, he when I first met, actually Rob went through Second City. That's where I actually met him. So he does have the, the, the patina okay. of a performer. But what was great is I went up to him and you know, what I love there, what I love about Chicago, but subsets of comedy in Chicago, a- a- anywhere really, but particularly Chicago. I would look at guys coming up, like at Belushi, whatever you go. Oh, there's blue collar working class people that can be in the creative field. Like it didn't seem heady and intellectual. Mm-hmm. It felt accessible to somebody that came from working class backgrounds. So when I go into Second City, I look over and I see a guy like in shitty stonewashed jeans that they don't even make his size because he's six, seven or eight, and he's maybe four or 500 pounds. He's a giant fucking human being, right? So he's got like two Carhartt jackets <laughs> sewn together like Frankenstein, like Timberland boots sawed in half and super glued to fucking assemble this monster. <laughs> and so I just walk up to him and I go, what the fuck are you doing here? And he goes, what the fuck are you doing here? I had never met the guy before. <clears throat> so we start bullshitting. It's like, where are you from? Where are you from? So we start just doing neighborhood shit. So I figure, oh, I'm going to try to do a douchey blue collar thing that, yeah, I go, oh, my mom's fucking just got arrested for robbing a bank. She's at the MCC. And he goes, my dad's on the guy side of the MCC right now for fucking some corruption oh, shit. I go, wow, both our parents are locked up in this, on equal sides of the MCC downtown. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. It's so good. 
It's a it's a Chicago bro yeah, romance, really you know, romance, yeah, like an arranged marriage, a, bro, a Chicago arranged marriage. Romeo and Juliet kind of situation <laughs> there. That was fucking. That's incredible. Families got together. Uh, that was a famous story you used to tell about your mom robbing the bank. That, that's what I, uh, you have a thousand of these fucking stories, and they're um, amazing. We should point out. I don't know if we have it on the clip there. There, uh, like me, you're you're sober now. For how long have you been sober now? Twenty uh, April twenty seventh was twenty one years. Oh my. Oh, God. good for you, man! Congratulations. That's crazy, twenty-one years. Well, I don't even want to think about that. It's 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 beyond. Uh, how old that is, right? It's it's absurd. I I, did, I turned forty-nine on the fourteenth and twenty-one years sober on the on the twenty-seventh. Uh, yeah. I wish I now I really now I really wish I didn't ask you that question because I'm just thinking about how old I am and <laughs> like stories that we've had together. <laughs> like, oh God. All right. Well, okay, that's fine. That's anyway. Well, I love I love like I love Burt Kreischer, uh, but the machine yeah. story for like the guys on the Zoom were like our Tuesday. You know what I mean? It's just like I know. Right. No, absolutely. Dude, I love it. More power to him. I can't wait to see the movie. But like Yeah, right. Sure. Real madness. Yeah, I mean you have mm-hmm. you have banana I mean, and what's crazy about all your stories is you may not even be the craziest person in your orbit no. that you like grew up with and hang out. I mean, you you know, you, your folks got crazy stories, your cousins, uh, you know, you have stories about bouncing with your cousin at, at bars. And I mean, they're all crazy, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know when was, how you guys feel about this, but trouble is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you just have—I mean, you just quoted the tagline of our show. But yes, go ahead. I mean, you it's feel like, fine about that. Like, what's what's better than the action? Of I mean, I know there's certain guys on here right. that like to move some money in the betting lines and fucking like to get kicked yeah, out of the sure. pub. I just—I I knew very early on that you know the Harvard wasn't in the fucking you know um, that you know I was looking at the people around. I go, I don't fit in anywhere there, and I'm going to probably live. Yeah, I felt like a spy when I was like five, man. I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, I'm so I'm like, I'm going to stay slippery and just ride this till the fucking wheels come off. And that's what I feel like once you got sober, you kind of realized alcohol wasn't, wasn't, I mean, yeah, of course it was an accelerant, but uh, you were always just a son of a bitch. You know, we just, uh, we just (laughs) look for trouble and that's what's going to happen. And now your powers are rising. You know, you, you're, you're realizing your full powers of mayhem. 100%. Hundred percent. That's like Klinger. Klinger causes more trouble sober than he ever did uh, drunk. Because you need to you need to fix that rush. Addiction doesn't go anywhere. You just got to put it somewhere else. So it becomes uh, yeah the pure chaos of an adventure. Because you were saying you're even better now at uh, mixing. Oh, I love it. Yeah, my pal's like, listen, man. Remember everything. Well, that's the good and bad news. Like my pal, uh, I was at his wedding, and he said, "Listen, my my best man is uh, got." can't speak in front of people, man. Will you say a couple things? Just keep it super fucking low key, you know? Like a hundred percent, man, super low key. So I hang up and I call, uh, I call uh, the Los Angeles police department and I go, Hey, you guys uh, got a bagpipe core. And he goes, what? I go, you know, like fucking to play funerals and shit. And he goes, Oh yeah. So, <laughs> So, so I call them and because, you know, if it was Chicago, you're not getting them for nothing. But in L.A., you know, it's like 12 Irish guys sitting in a dusty room staring at the phone. So, like, <laughs> hey, will you guys, I go, if I get you a case and I throw like 500 at you, will you yeah. come down and <clears throat> blow this fucking wedding out? <laughs> 
We're just happy to meet a Catholic. We'll be there. We'll be there when, whenever you say. <laughs> so it was down at uh, the Biltmore, I think, whatever the big hotel is downtown L.A. Beautiful couple, beautiful thing. I go, you know what? I was told to keep this chill. So uh, bring it in, boys. <laughs> 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 the best part was oh my god italian and irish put his wife awesome. irish all the old irish people to their feet they're crying i'm sure getting ready to throw chairs just to get in the mix and uh the hotel <laughs> manager comes in and he's like what the fuck is this you can't just that guy it's like i got four weddings going on at the same time this is just <laughs> Yeah, I was like, this this twelve person fucking crew was sonically designed to scare a thousand British Protestants. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna ring through your fucking hotel. <laughs> right. Well, I love the way it it starts up. Like, uh, it's great on St. Patrick's Day in Chicago because like CJ and I always talk about how they go around like they have the Stanley Cup with them and they just enter bars. Like, there's no yeah. announcement, there's no prearranged time. But I love how it it. If you've ever noticed, it starts up with that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, 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 like an old car, yeah, like, yeah. like just warning you, like get the yeah. hell out of here some, right yeah, some now. Some of them are in uniform. A couple of them have kills. One guy's just in regular clothes. They woke up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like a mari- like a mariachi band. Like they have the uniform on, you know. <laughs> like the, uh, the right the bagpipes. I feel like they just picked up a few guys on the way. Like ah, oh, let's go get fucking Timmy, you know. He's he's been he's on he's in Dutch with the wife. Did you guys ever go to uh, the, the uh, uh, Island Games down in Grand Park? Do you remember that at all? No. No. So the Highland Games were Scottish, right? So my uh we uh so I'm Irish and Puerto Rican. The the Irish side spent a little time in Scotland kind of hightailing it out from the, the, the famine and and uh the old six counties in the northern that were pushing the Catholics out. So I don't know really any of this, right? But there's this thing called the Highland Game, which is a celebration of all things uh, Scottish. And for a while, it was uh, at Grant Park. So I'm a kid. I'm like 10 or 11. My uncle goes, we're going to go. There's this thing called a caber toss, where basically you throw a fucking telephone pole. That's a game that they came up with in their head. Like, do you know how fucking drunk you have to be? To fucking stare at a telephone pole and then look another man in the eye and go, you know what? Fuck you. I bet you I could throw that fucking telephone pole farther than you can. <laughs> like, and then do it. Like, that's a Scottish game. Right. So they do Absolutely. It. I've seen that before. They throw it over it, their head, right? Backwards. Yeah, they do, do it. Yeah, they're like, fuck, this is how we throw telephone poles. <laughs> so <laughs> they go like this. They make an announcement. Tug of war. We're going to have the McDonald's uh, have a tug of war against the Campbell's. So I go, uh, so my uncle goes, we're McDonald's. So I go, great. So we all line up and it's like 30 people on each side. It's the rope with the little towel in the middle. And we start pulling and it's going back and forth. <clears throat> then I see guys screaming and I'm in the, in, in the front because I'm small. They got the big guys at the end of the rope. Guys are, fuck you, no fuck you. And I'm like, what's happening? The rope drops, <clears throat> full fucking brawl. I'm getting clipped. People are kind of not wanting to hit a kid, but they're like, he's fucking here. So he's in this. So yeah, I'm like, he's in it. <clears throat> I'm like, what the fuck is happening? We all get scruffed. They're like, hey, hey, hey. You know, the guy comes on the mic, take it, he's dead. So we leave. Everyone's panting. The sides, like, warring clans have split. So I go to my uncle. I go, what? What? What happened? What happened? He goes, in 14. 
1992. These motherfuckers. I go, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you saying? He's like, yeah, they let us in their castle and they killed everybody and one McDonald made it. I'm like, this is, and that, that was like, you know, when you're young, when you get those snapshots of like, oh, this is the power of resentment that I'm going to have. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Celtic grudges. Celtic grudges. Yeah. That was probably one of the first festivals they moved once it became the new Millennium Park. Oh, and that was sure, yeah. <laughs> like an upgraded park. They're like, yeah, we, we were not having the McDonald's back here for their family reunion <laughs> and feats Irish of strength. All, yeah. Those Irish Alzheimer's, they forget everything but a grudge. <laughs> Until they're we- Mick, weeping uh, and saying like, he was a know, saint you- when he's dead. They fucking hated him for yeah, 30 years. Right. Oh, he's a saint. Yeah. He's a saint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, that Ricky. So sometimes you even have to have like scheduled uh, arrival times at wakes because they'll be like, well, Anne can't see Margaret and she wants to visit the body at three. So, Margaret, you got to come to the evening visitation and so on. It was ridiculous. Every time um, I go back and I was doing like a, like a weekend of shows, like it has to literally be spaced out between five shows. It's like figuring out which which. All right, who's not talking to who? What war treaty is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cousin Ka- cousin Kathy, you get that side to the Friday show, you know, and like he's got to spread it all out because no one because there's, there's a fucking brawl between everybody within your own family. And my mother in law's funeral, God rest her soul, the line went down the block to see her. She was, she worked, she volunteered at this church, whole thing. Mm-hmm. People are waiting to say goodbye. And the priest goes, we got us. We got to shut it down and start the mass. And we're like, what are you talking about? He goes, we got to shut it down. Cause there's a baptism. And we're like, well, hold, tell the people what the baby's not going anywhere. Like tell just baby's not going to know. So we're going, he's like, no, no, no. And then one just guy goes, Oh, is this cutting into the kid fucking time? <laughs> just like church fucking baptisms are trying to be gentlemen about it was like yeah. oh you know i probably shouldn't have said that father but you know you're fucking the kids like i just love <laughs> chicago so much i mean you can't say anything because you guys are yeah. fucking the kids it's-, <laughs> it's beautiful now before we let you go here mick i do want to, if you remember uh I don't know if you remember for a while. You, we used to work at Law and Order SVU, if I recall. You wrote for a couple seasons for that. You wrote for a year. You were a, a producer as well yeah. uh, on some of those shows, weren't you? And you wrote for a year. How, lo- how long were you on uh, the Attack legend. with Let SVU? Let's your horn a bit for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's it. We're, we're done. Anyway, uh, but the <laughs> <laughs> but you have a great story of the first time you met Ice-T on set where he gave you a piece of advice, if you recall, if you want to touch that. That was fucking hilarious. He actually said it. Do you, do you recall what he said to you about or, uh, you're making your first money? I think so. Yeah, he said when if you make real money, he goes take a hundred. Give I think this is the one that you're talking about. <clears throat> he goes, yeah, yeah, just give a hundred thousand dollars away. And I was like, what? Like I was working at start. Like I'm coming from you know you want that decaf or regular. I don't understand the language. He's like, break off a hundred grand right away. Everybody just break it off and give it away. And then when those motherfuckers come back, you're like, I already tapped you up, man. Like, we're done. <laughs> we're done. Got, I gave you a taste. We're done. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's such great scumbag advice. And he's right. Dude, he was, yeah. Because he, he knows. They come. They're like vultures. People are going to come at you, man. It's, uh, yeah, it was very, it was, that's a, that was a mob. I, I, that was the last peak TV before real cable really exploded and streaming. Like yeah. there were forty yeah. million people a week were watching that. It was crazy from the time. What was it like to work on that? I mean, I mean, because you, I mean, you have this like crazy background growing up 
you know, like essentially in the streets of Chicago, like where all the other writers, like these Harvard, like I always picture a writer's room as like uh, Harvard eggheads, yeah. you know, but like were they, were there people that shared your background as well, where they had more of a working class background? Were you an anomaly? No, no one had my background. I mean, it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> no one's mom robbed the bank? You got, you might have a hooker. None of you guys. When you, all right, when you were at Brown University, your mom wasn't homeless? <laughs> All right. All right. I financial aid. How'd you get your grades? Yeah, it's All just right. me. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> I, th- I met like. But was that an advantage yes. though for, for for writing a show like that, where you're you're talking? I mean, you're writing for criminals, right? That was a that was a hug and a slap, Johnny. That was a hug and a slap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're your people's what we're trying yeah, to say. You dirt You say when you yeah. rapists, yeah. thieves. If anybody gets you know, a rapist, <laughs> that's right. It's your people. I it was an advantage until I learned how to make it an advantage. So like when I uh, this is corn dog thing that'll veer, but when I when I go back to Chicago. Sometimes I'll speak at schools and sometimes they're nice schools and, you know, they'll have theater departments or they'll be like little writing departments. Or sometimes like the the school newspaper will have people that want to be writers or whatever. And they'll say, can you come talk to the class about writing? And I go, of course. And then invariably they go, we'd love to take you out to lunch afterwards. And I go, amazing. I go, I will go to lunch under one condition. I go, do you have a student in your class? that drives you crazy, that you may think is talented, <clears throat> that maybe shows up with bruises and you know where they're from and the kid knows where they're from, but they can't say anything to you and they get a lot, they get in a lot of trouble and you think to yourself, man, if this kid could only apply themselves, they might actually do something with their life. You have that kid in your class and they go, yeah. And I go, the only way that I'm going to fucking go to lunch afterwards because I is if that, if that kid's sitting right next to me. That's it. I'll eat with you because, you know, normally the teacher takes their favorite right. students and they stack them around you. And it's like a little perk of like, hey, oh, Sean mm-hmm. and CJ are coming. We're going to go to lunch. And then they go, you, 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 you're my teacher's pets. We're going to go. I go, the derelict fucking lunatic sits next to me <laughs> or there's no lunch. So I, I do that because a lot of those people don't feel like they're ever going to have a shot. And it's a, I'm dovetailing it back to your question, Sean, which is. It was a liability until I made it an asset, until I realized what you just said, which is they're all mostly Ivy League people. They're all highly educated. And so I had to figure out a way to tell my story in these meetings. You know, first I had to write something worth reading. And then they go, oh, we like this writing. Let's meet the writer. And then you go in and I had to figure out we're all storytellers. That's the whole point of the podcast. How can I tell this thing that separates me and adds value and go, well, fuck, this person is certainly going to bring us a fresh point of view in the writer's room because we're going to have eight people thinking and drawing on the same experience. And then this feral wolf that's going to come in and, you know, maybe maybe right. be able to shade in some characters or, or, or break some story uh, in a non-traditional way. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, and, I mean, it. you've had all that, <clears throat> all that success on TV. And let's talk a little bit uh, before you leave, because uh, you're – on your website, uh, which I read and is, is great, you, you share random stories, but you're also kind of like uh, releasing your book in uh, chapter, like kind of serialization. So let's uh, tell our listeners about that, please. That's really cool, man. That, that, uh, and thank you for letting me promote that. So I'm on Substack. It's just my name, Mick, like Mouse, M-I-C-K, Betancourt, B-E-T-A-N-C-O-U-R-T. <clears throat> and so I'm serializing a crime thriller novel because I wrote murder television for basically 20 years. So I 
I liked the genre. But really what that book is about is it, 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 it's on chapter eight right now and it's about ready to turn. I wanted to play with the genre, not just make it very plot driven. You know, like I wanted you to really it's working class characters. It's a guy that changes his identity to go into a prison that killed the guy that murdered his wife only to realize the guy didn't do it. And so now they have to help each other <clears throat> figure out who really did to get this guy out. So while, while one guy's getting sober in prison and another guy's life is falling apart, drinking on the outside. So really it's a story about sobriety, but I'm using the crime thriller thing. So that's one part of the Substack. I'm also doing the Mick Betancourt show podcast. That's available on the Substack, And I'm also writing pieces of, of stories like we discussed today and that, the, that your audience heard opening up the show. And then I'm going to tour those in 12 months. So I'm building up the audience for that to do basically, uh, this is going to sound hackety schmackety, but like a working man's David Sedaris, you know, really going into working class neighborhoods. And, and you should, dude. That, that would be yeah. great. <clears throat> I love it. And where can you find it on, a, on the socials? What's your handles there? I know I followed it. I know you just put the podcast directly to <clears throat> people on a McBettencourt site. But uh, where are you, Instagram the best? What's your Instagram handle again, at McBettencourt? No, just go, I'll tell you what, uh, just go to the Substack because that's the whole ecosystem. But I okay. will like to say, yeah. you know, I'm deeply involved with the geriatric organization <clears throat> uh, called lemonparty.org. So if you could go there and just spend some time there, I feel like we're in a very ageist society where a lot of people just kind of dismiss old people. So I just think they're doing yeah. some really exciting things over there. Lemonparty.org in right. lieu of my socials. Yeah, all right. No problem. Working class elderly. That's what we like to help that, help that all about. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, yes. for taking the time to join us today, Mick. Uh, yeah, we always love hearing your stories. And uh, I can't wait for this tour. I, I hope that I uh, I, Chicago's got to be uh, one of the Oh, days, 100%. Right? Yeah. Can't wait. Thank Go you, Mick. Now. Yeah, guys. Brother. All right, we're back here in the Blackout Diaries. That was Mick Bettencourt with the... Uh, <laughs> Amazing, amazingly, I've, I've talked to Mick forever. He's so. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's the best. <laughs> he spins a yarn, as they say. The, the Irish he gift. Does. Of, the Irish gift of gab, as Adam Crocious would uh, point it out. At. <laughs> and I love that. But they, it is funny. You look at every person I know who's like Mick, who's like a great storyteller, yeah. and you're like, "Has that really been a gift for them?" <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Kind of seems to get them in trouble as much as yeah, it does uh, get them out of trouble. In more than out of more, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but he also talked about that diner. Late night diners is a theme we got going on here, and it seems mm -hmm. to always be a common spot you go after a night of drinking uh, for sitting down. And there, apparently, there's a reason why. Obviously, a scientific reason why. Yeah. Why we um, get the munchies when and when we uh, when we drink, we want to eat, and we eat the worst things possible. Why is it? Is there a research to that, you said? Yeah, there is, CJ. Uh, this is uh, from an article on CNN about several studies that uh, why drunks eat more. And, uh, quote, one of the simplest explanations as to why we eat more when we drink is that alcohol lowers your inhibitions and can decrease our defenses when it comes to portion control and making healthy eating choices. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Studies show that people will consume more at meals when they're including alcohol or have been drinking before, says Ginger Holton, a registered dietitian and the author of the blog Champagne Nutrition. Um, but yeah, no shit. Right. <laughs> Champagne Nutrition. I mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious. And uh, you're saying, I mean, but then, go, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, they go on to say that that isn't the only reason, but what also happens is that alcohol influences the hormones tied to uh, feeling full. For example, alcohol inhibits the effects of lepitine, a hormone that suppresses appetite, and glucagon peptide GPL-1, a hormone that inhibits food take, intake. Excuse me. Mm. So also like the, the signals that your body would normally send you to say, I'm full, it doesn't send when All you're drunk. <laughs> it takes that out. <laughs> you just gorge on everything you say. And, uh, and, and the combinations, as you were saying earlier there, are always... It's always a drunken mess. What what you desire when you eat, like you like you think you're inventing something amazing. Oh yeah, you know when you're just like crossing. And a lot of like you were saying, like restaurants and or diners or what I should say, these late night foods places, they start catering to it and they make these debacles. Oh yeah. Um, there's a place right down the street here uh, in L.A. called Fat Sal's in Hollywood. I think I think it's the guy who uh, played Turtle in Entourage. I think he might run it. But our own I've heard of that place. Yeah, it's it is whatever. It, it yeah. is what it is. You know, it's a sandwich place. But every sandwich, every place, it ha- every sandwich it has, it's like uh, you know, like a cheesesteak with mozzarella sticks and like uh, you know, shrimp scampi inside of it. Like just weird things. Just jam- <laughs> everything just jammed in there that only a drunk would think of. Only a drunk person right. would, would yeah, really be like, fingers, "That sounds yeah, delicious." Chicken fingers, onion rings, and a tuna salad. Let's put it all in one. And like it's only for for if you're a mess, you know what I mean. It's a whole business model, and I think their hours are. I mean, I guess they they do have normal hours, but at first they tried to run it like like a regular nine to five. Like, what are you doing? Like, you can't. People can't just come in here. People don't make that kind of decision. Exactly during broad daylight. This is a five to nine place, not a nine to five. You you know how they always use the phrase "broad daylight" about like crime. Like, I was mugged in broad daylight. I feel it should be used about about food where you're like i ate a rooty tooty fresh and fruity in broad daylight (laughs) (laughs) yeah you have to go to a meeting after that i mean i was bad i was eating i was eating a slinger in broad daylight from the diner grill right there 2 p.m on my lunch break i was going in there i was bringing clients in But yeah, these places, they know exactly what they're doing. I always loved, um, there used to be a McDonald's right across the street from um, Wrigley Field that mm-hmm. was open 24 hours a day. Yep. And, you know, all Famous the bars at Wrigley McDonald's. Field would, hilarious McDonald's. Yeah. And they had a, uh, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not, but they had a late night menu. They had a special late night menu. Yeah. The, the, and it was great because they would herd you into a separate, it, it was like a, cattle a going vestibule. to be. If you will. Yeah, it was like Jay- this vestibule, yeah. and it was one way. You got your food, and you had to exit, and you couldn't go back because it was like only your like shoulder width. Yeah, it would lock and the, you the in late that night place, menu, but it would separate hilarious. you from the actual restaurant. Yeah, Jay from Galway they had Bay stuff famously that- called that the vestibule, and like had famous. Yeah. He broke his ankle one time trying to get twenty a twenty piece McNugget because <laughs> he was so happy because he was so drunk, you know. And he got he always got us to go to all he wanted was a twenty piece nugget. And he's like running to it happy. It's like snowy winter in Chicago, and he slipped and like broke. He legit broke his ankle, was down, and still crawled to the vestibule. And still got his nuggets, hands and knees, army crawling. Vestibule. If you you had to be so drunk to be able to tolerate being inside that, because you were just shoulder to shoulder in this like terrible, yeah. you know. 
place and the menu was there's no way it was corporate approved I, they went they had like you know but yeah it was like what you're talking about where it would be like a quadruple burger right. with chicken nuggets inside yeah, the burger inside of it <laughs> thing. everything everything was on like a speakeasy like dialogue even the, the, like I, I remember seeing people like i remember like like seeing people in the vestibule like and like you just have that agreement like oh hey oh god okay head down we weren't here it's kind of like you know like, yeah we don't use our real names right. there yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> oh man well, I mean, you know, we used to go to Diner Grill all the time. Right, that's why I brought up Slider. Had, like, one of the classic examples of that was the Slider, which I don't think... Did we ever Sli- discover Slinger, what was Slinger, in a Slider? Yeah, Slinger, Slinger yeah. excuse me. Um, Slinger, well, as their philosophy said on their t-shirt, don't ask, just eat. You don't ask what's inside <laughs> of it. It's also the picture of, like, the dad having a heart attack or something, and the family crying because he's going to die because the doctor's got the thing of the heartbeat to it. Yeah, it was like... Uh, it, it was like it was just it was like you were mentioning the garbage plate, which is uh, famous in Rochester, New York, which was uh, yes. talked about this week because of the PGA Golf Tour was up there, and uh, it's very similar to that where things just kept creating. There's like burger patties in there, chili, uh, eggs, and then like more things would just emerge out of it, like full on like meals. a swamp, you know? Yeah. yeah, like it would bubble up, and you would you would see like like a deviled egg right. would come out of the bottom or something like that. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a huge plate, and like you know you would. Get a you get a certificate if you put one down I think you know or something like that mm-hmm. like your T-shirt. And I remember in our legendary friend Pat Bryce, uh, who is a legendary eater, even though he was a yes very thin man, but a very legendary drunk eater, and uh, he would get one and get one to go. And if you got which was which was insanity, you know, ordering one of those things to go because <laughs> it didn't travel well at all. Obviously, they, they would yeah, I don't it. even know what you. <laughs> Yeah, we almost need to get an old ga- an old gallon of milk or something. That's what they got. They got one of those like plastic containers, those milk container things that fo- like kind of like Chinese food that folded up top. Yeah. You know, the floor thing. And it would just, it's like they're pouring this plate in. It would become it would become a different matter once you moved it. <laughs> like it was a nice, it was a physical it was a substance on a plate, but once it got moved to the container, it became liquid somehow, and then like gases were coming. But. Uh, he famously, um, I remember one time, uh, not even that, the, the Diner Grill. Was, I think this was at uh, Maxwell Street. where The Hollywood Grill, I think, is the, maybe the, well, no, go ahead. I don't know which story Hollywood, about. Hollywood Diner, I'll ahead. tell that in one second. But the one, the, okay. the phone order is like when he ordered. Oh, I remember that one too. It was, yeah. like, a, it was like a steak sandwich, medium rare, like fries. It was, a, it was a very detailed order that he ate, you know. Mm-hmm. Steak sandwich, mm-hmm. blah, 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 fries, uh, something on the side, blah, blah, blah. And he ate it, and he he would, he he would, he would eat it fast, so fast that it would scare women, like people are friends, you know, like you just don't get your hands around them, you know, like he would he would terrify people. I remember one time, well, whatever, I already got it that before. So he, he he orders it, he eats it, and as he's paying it, uh, for for the for the meal he just threw down, he realized that's not going to be enough, and he wants another one, but he's, mm-hmm. he does embarrass. He doesn't order another full on steak sandwich and fries inside, <laughs> so he fakes a phone call with his roommate back home, like he's ordering it. The same thing. He goes, "Hold on, I gotta take this." What? Ah, can you believe this guy? All right, yeah, I'll get it for you. I'm at the place. I'll bring it home for you. Okay, can you get another steak sandwich, medium round, one on the side, fries, burnt, well done. The, like, oh, the exact same order you just had. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're we're very similar with that. <laughs> Yeah, I had many uh, 
we had many many tales with Pat with late night diners and uh, drunk because he would put on displays. I remember that one time I told yeah. you at the, at the Granny's mm-hmm. Apple, it was for the Hollywood. It was, it was guys and girls, a nice mixed group. It was fun, like after a big comedy show, and then uh, he was scaring people the way he was eating there with the orders. And then he got so upset once we're, we're all paying to go, we're all getting our coats on because it's winter time. And so just, he got so upset waiting around for everyone to get their stuff together that he ordered a, a quick hash browns to, to hold them over to the waitress after we paid our check, just because everyone's getting I their love jackets. Like he's going up to a barista. Yeah. Like you know, you know what? I'll have. While I'm waiting, right. I'll have an espresso. Exactly. You know, like, you know, just like a, like a hash brown barista. Right. Can I get you a drink while you wait for your food to come or something like that? Your order to come like that. He's like, yeah. the way, I remember the waitress going, are you serious? Like, we just closed out. Well, look at this. Like, All right. I guess she just, I think she gave it to him for free. Just like, he's calm down. He's here. Dig the plate that ripped yeah. out. But the fame diner, another famous diner that we would go to on, so on North and National, I believe, Hollywood Diner. It's still there, right? North Hollywood Diner? I think so. Uh, I, it might have just closed, but yeah, it, it was there for years. It was called Hollywood Diner in Chicago. Um, very bright. And the, the reason why it was famous because of the, the location north of Ashland was kind of set. It was obviously it was 24 hours or whatever, late night, so light, a lot of late night people. But it was center location for a lot of nightlife, and that's kind of like where a lot of strip mm-hmm. clubs were kind of over in that area as well. Like every, everyone would gather yeah. around to that area. You, you get an eclectic group, and it was a pretty big diner there, you know. And... Uh, Pat was there with his buddy H Bomb Halloran. He's a great guy. He was he's a, the only person louder than Pat. Yeah. I mean, like that's how they became right. friends. It, it, just like at a volume level, they couldn't not be friends. I mean, his nickname is H Bomb. We should say he's definitely much more calm now at age, but he was definitely louder. And he was, and he he was absolutely hammered at this diner, and. Um, so he's being loud, whatever, and there's this wo- woman in there who's a, uh, a stripper, obviously, and she had uh, um, very large breasts, probably fa- obviously fake breasts, but they're very large, you know. And uh, she's, sitting, okay. she's sitting down there with other uh, dancers. They would come there after their shift, I guess. And Halloran is just yelling, like, Baba Boom, Baba Boom, just like whatever, you know, just being obnoxious, screaming, things like that, you know. The whole place is rowdy, the whole diner, like, bazooka, you know. <laughs> And like, even Pat's getting embarrassed. Like, Jesus, stop it, you know? Like, what are you doing? Like, and then, uh, <laughs> so she keeps yelling at she go, She walks by to the, go to the cash register to pay the checks. That's how you pay the register. And he's yelling, look, I got a boom, and boom. And she goes over to him. And, and as she passes him by, like, she's heard enough of this. And just starts slamming, starts punching, not punching, whapping him in the face with her breasts, with her boobs. And just like left and right, bang, 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 bang. Like, and, they're, and they're heavy and they're hard. I mean, they're huge, you know? And just whacking up. And he's loving it, going, yeah, 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 you know? Screaming in joy and getting like, like getting punched. Like he's literally getting assaulted, punched left in the face. And the whole diner's dying, laughing, going nuts. Like, yeah, fuck that guy, you know? It's amazing. He's like, yeah, this is the best, ah! you know? And then they pay, whatever. They leave, and that was the night. And Bryce couldn't believe it, blah blah blah. And then they came over. Uh, we were over the next day, and they, it was like in the afternoon. He came by. Uh, he goes, "Oh man, that was great. Hey, that was a fun night last night. Great show. But uh, did, did we have breakfast last night?" It's what he says to Pat. <laughs> That's what H. Pop said to Pat. Pat's like, "What? You don't remember any of that from last night?" Because yeah, how did I get this black guy? How do you get that black guy? <laughs> a triple D cup with a silicone whacked you across a dining room table. That's how you got the black guy. Oh, we did have breakfast. That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> he had no memory whatsoever of being a I love that. It's incredible. I, I think I forwarded it to you, but did you see that Philly fan who went viral uh, where a, uh, a stripper – was um, holding nachos and doing like a strip tease oh, yeah. on him at, Philly's game. at, 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 at game a Phillies game, yes, and yes, it just it. goes viral about right. how and you could tell they're both just hammered. Right. And I love that where they just may not have any memory. Like, <laughs> like I did what? You know, <laughs> I know. And it goes viral. <laughs> yeah, and there's, yeah, there's kids around there. That is amazing. <laughs> um. I always love those diner stories. Just uh, um, in Jersey, where I'm uh, from, Ridge, they have the most diners in the uh, in the country per capita. That's what they claim. They're claiming. I can see that most diners. And uh, so we grew up on diners. And I remember telling you there was a was doing a show up in North Jersey, and um, they have some good ones up there. But there was the one scene right by the club. There's a there's the strip club or from the Sopranos, Bada Bing that everyone goes to. It's, right. That got famous on this on this uh, highway up there. There's not much up there, but there's that. So mm-hmm. everyone goes into that because of the Sopranos, or at least just going to see it or whatever, you know. Sure. It's a two it's a two tourist attractions: the strip club of Sopranos, and the other one is the diner from Goodfellas. <laughs> and uh, it's there's a couple diner Goodfellas scenes, and this is the bad one for this guy. There's there's the one. <laughs> You know, this is the Rachel Slur one. <laughs> yeah, this is the one yeah. where the guy who was a comic, by the way, comes in and asks you know, the payphone when they when they stole his truck, Pesci and whatever mm-hmm. stole his truck, and he he blames on, on a, he blames on a mythical black guy, but he uses uh, the bad language. You know, <laughs> he uses mm-hmm. he screams the n word, and that's his famous line. It's so it's actually there's a side of it to that. That guy who's a comic, he's crazy. Uh, it's his catchphrase too, almost basically, because that's what he's that's what he's known for in the movie, and he'll say it. Yeah. He clubs up. He'll say it. Say, he says he doesn't care. It's it's it's, 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 it's not comfortable. <laughs> but he's like, hey, you always say this is what it is. You got to put it out there. Like, yeah, you don't have to. But all right. he does. But anyway, so we go to his diner. I'm like, oh my god. But it was kind of like unempty. But I'm like, it was pretty, you know, it's just sitting there in the middle of the highway. We get there. I'm like, man, this is it. You can really tell. I'm like. And then the owner was there, and he was great. I'm like, man, this is the place from Goodfellas, huh? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what's wrong? He's like, well, I'll tell you what's wrong. <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, you know, they, some guy came up to me before, uh, you know, years ago. He was like, hey, we want Martin Scorsese wants to put your diner in his new mob movie. I'm like, of course, this would be amazing. You pay me money, that would be great. And that. They didn't tell me that it was going to be famous for this guy screaming the N-word as loud as possible. Now, now every day some asshole comes in here and goes, hey, where's the phone where they scream? And they just scream and they leave. So, so he had to rope it off and put it in a completely different section with a sign like, don't ask, it's back there. It's like it haunts him like every day. <laughs> He's like every other. Yeah, I mean that's true. You don't know. I mean, everybody yeah. wants to be in pictures, but you don't know how they're going to use it. Right. You like know? every other diner, they'd be like, "Oh, this is where he got killed or whacked," you know, or any other scene. But that's the mm-hmm. one. Scene, that's what it's known for. He's just screaming the N word <laughs> in Jersey. So you know, there's a bunch of people don't kill to actually say it though. I, I, I feel bad for the guy, and you could tell like the place. The place was like hanging on by a string, but with no business. But they had to. But he has to hang around because he was in Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> the curse and the blessing. Anyway, that should just about do it today for today for the diner so. scene. I believe, right? Yeah, that was a great. Um, great what do you got going on, uh, CJ? First, we want to thank McBetancourt, Sean. That's what we. Yes, that's of how course. We do it professionally, amazing and. Uh, 
check out his podcast and all that. We had all those plugs. So I got going on uh, not much. My other podcast, The Bottom Line Bombs, is still cooking in on SGPN. Make sure you subscribe to all that stuff. And then um, on the road, not much. So just follow me on Instagram at CJ Sullivan was taken. And then. And uh, I will be at the live show uh, tomorrow and every Friday at 10 p.m. at the Lincoln Lodge. Make sure to come by that. Uh, And you can also buy my book online, Places I Can't Return to, at Sean Bear Flannery or wherever books are sold online. (laughs) Wherever books are sold, wherever pods are told. Make sure you give a five-star review to this one as well. We'll talk uh, sports like that. Um, (laughs) I was was laughing just before I wrap up. Um, The bottom line, Bob Man in the Box Sports one, because I just did a thing on Jim Brown. I always think of Cleveland, of course, mm-hmm. with Jim Brown, who passed, you know, and he's got, obviously, a, a full plate of like, people want to, you know, a lot of things happen. Complicated, complicated legacy, as they legacy, say. legacy, they like to say. Uh, but but ignoring all that, some of the stories is amazing to me, like, like the stats. Like, when he was at Syracuse, <laughs> we famously, it reminded me of our visitor's locker room, we talked about him being the greatest lacrosse mm-hmm. player. You know, yeah. Um, so no shit, <laughs> right? No shit. They changed the rule, cradling the ball because he would just put the ball against his chest and barrel through everybody. <laughs> it's like and like just take ten sticks in the face. And why does everyone do this? Like we're all not two hundred fifty pound Jim Brown who can run a four three yeah, four. Run a four two. <laughs> right. Yeah. But he went there basically because like as a freshman he was the fifth string running back at uh, Syracuse. And I'm like, how racist mm-hmm. of a coach are you to have Jim Brown as your as your as your fifth string running back? You know, he's every day in practice, he's dragging the entire team up and down the field, and so he would never get in his freshman. That's why he went over to play lacrosse. He had no idea how to do it, and their coach was, you know, was cool. He's like, yeah, go play. He's like, how do I play? Who cares? Just get out there. <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> right. And Jim Brown, like, counts him as, like, a, almost like as a father figure. He's like, oh, he's one of the greatest friends of my life. <laughs> like, all you do is just not be a racist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, that made me laugh, thinking of the old business locker room story of him being a lacrosse player. Oh, it's hilarious. Which is on our album. If you want to get the uh, greatest hits, I actually looked it up. The Ratterman telling us. Is story. it still out there? Yeah, it's out there on iTunes. Oh, nice. Sports yeah. action to talk to. What was it? It was like a combat. Wasn't it? Was a sports combat? Yeah, I think it was called sports, sports combat. combat. Talk or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> All right. I was actually just thinking of that album uh, real quickly yeah, because yeah, yeah. Uh, that dude with the cheetah blades, I think, just lost his appeal. Oh, uh, his final appeal. Yeah. Yeah, who you know, he killed his wife, and then he right. he, he framed it on mythical criminals that never existed as Correct. well. Um, but I believe he's on our album as well. Yeah, for sure. Because remember how he was a mediocre runner until he got like those um, like Lee Marvin six million dollar man yep. cheetah, blades. cheetah blades. Yeah, so I mean, they're literally called <laughs> cheetah blades. <laughs> And you excel. The more, the further you ran, the more you accelerated because it built up tension in the metal. <laughs> like, it like defies all laws of human running. You know. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, his wife's story was crazy too. Like he said, like he thought someone was breaking into his bathroom, so he just opened a door and blindly shot, like emptied his entire gun and shot. Yeah. And shot into like really. That's how you. Uh, that's how you investigate a noise. <laughs> <laughs> So check that one out. Yep. Uh, leave a, you know what? Go ahead and leave a five star review there too. That and uh, for, for sure. the Blackout Absolutely. Diaries, get that thing yep. going. Get those algorithms back into it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back next week. All right. <laughs>